Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is our review of Dumb Money. Holy fucking shit. I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> is the craziest I think I've ever seen. Everything okay? 11 fucking million dollars. What are you gonna do? Get a Ferrari? What the fuck? Oh, language. The baby's here. All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Dumb Money, and the story is as follows. Everyday people flip the script on Wall Street and get rich by turning GameStop into one of the world's hottest companies. In the middle of everything is Keith Gill, a regular guy who starts it all by sinking his life savings into the stock. When his social media posts start blowing up, so does his life and the lives of everyone following him. As a stock tip becomes a movement, everyone gets wealthy until the billionaires fight back and both sides find their worlds turned upside down. The film is starring Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio, America Ferreira, Nick Offerman, Anthony Ramos, Sebastian Stan, Shaley Woodley, and Seth Rogen. It is directed by Craig Gillespie, and it is written by Lauren Shucker-Blum and Rebecca Angelo. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren Cohen. Diamond hands. To the moon. <laughs> we also have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. If he's in, I'm in. <laughs> it's crazy. This story is still very, very recent and ongoing, honestly. Uh, there are still ramifications from this event, this uh, short squeeze in 2021. Uh, it's very interesting, too. I think if the movie The Big Short didn't exist, a lot of people wouldn't really understand dumb money as well as uh, from what I've seen people have been able to grasp. But there's been documentaries. There's been news headlines. There's been so much already talked about regarding this. And, of course, lots of YouTube videos because this was very much a people on the ground, normal, everyday, average people movement that was kickstarted by social media and the online film community. And we're talking people that are low income, just regular average everyday individuals who don't really stand that much of a chance on Wall Street to make money. And that's the thing is that the system is so rigged against the little guy. And these big hedge fund types are the ones that are making millions, in some cases, billions of dollars. And this was an opportunity for David to fight back against Goliath and take back some power and control within the stock market. So Craig Gillespie here, background on him is that, you know, he's done quite a few successful uh, comedies and dramas over the last couple of years. Lately, his style has been deemed uh, by some to be Scorsese light in terms of his editing style, his camera style. And we've seen that deployed in movies like I, Tanya, Pam and Tommy, which was a television series, and uh, Cruella uh, most recently as well for him. Dumb Money, he takes a bit of a different approach, but the story feels also quintessential Craig Gillespie for this stage in his career, so it feels like it should be a good match all around. You throw in this A-list cast of names, and you have all the makings for something that should be entertaining, while also educational too, uh, for hopefully for some people, and maybe get them interested in getting involved within the stock market and hopefully making some money from 
the guys who don't need more money. Uh, so this had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. It is now playing in limited release, slowly being rolled out to more theaters as of this recording. Uh, next week, it'll be nationwide. What did we all think of it? Lauren Cohen, we can start off with you. Lauren, thoughts on Dumb Money? So I saw this at the uh, TIFF at the press screening. And by that point, I'd always already seen like a lot of, you know, really heavy stuff. A lot of things at festivals can can lean heavy sometimes. And this was my first morning screening. I was up at like 7, 7 a.m., 6.30. And it was, I can't tell you how good I felt at this screening to see something that was just so much fun and that flew by and that had the entire press screening kind of like howling in and laughing, which is not always the case in press screenings. I feel like it it really flips between kind of a quieter audience, not engaging in the same way, uh, just depending on the film. But this one, everyone was having the time of their life. It was just the best way to start my morning. I think, and also in the movie, I was caught off guard because the very first like frame, it says Miami, Florida on the screen. And I honestly had no idea there was any kind of Miami connection whatsoever. So that also made me really excited. But this movie was so much better than it had any right to be because on paper, it's people like looking at their cell phones the whole time, right? Like it's like, did the stock go up? Did it go down? What's happening? There are people talking on the internet, but he manages to dramatize it in a way that is so engaging that makes you feel like you could have been involved. Because honestly, the truth of the story is that all of us could have been involved. It's not, you don't even need to know that much about um, the stock market. And I think that the movie does such a good job explaining things to people who are unfamiliar with this stuff and also making it so entertaining when it is something about really people on their phones, seeing things go through the same changes that we already heard about. But I thought it was just so much fun. The cast is amazing. And I've just been, it's been one of the movies I've been recommending to people the most. I think anyone who sees it will love it. And it has an awesome soundtrack. I just can't say enough good things about it. Yes. Uh, starting off the movie with uh, WAP. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Instantly told us everything we need to know about the soundtrack uh, for this. That's yeah, for sure. It just had that, that vibe, right? It's just like the, you knew exactly what kind of movie it was. And then you have Pete Davidson. Um, no, it was just such a blast. Okay. All right. Josh Parham, how about you? What did you think of Dumb Money? Uh, I'm going to be a little less enthusiastic <laughs> about this movie, unfortunately. Uh, me and Craig Gillespie, with his movies, I just have never really jived with them, to be honest. Like, there's a, a tone and a sensibility that he brings to his stuff that I've just never really been that on board with. Um... And I kind of feel like it continues here. And I think the bigger problem that I have overall with this movie is that even though I agree that there are good performances here, I agree that it's mostly like a well, like assembled, well constructed shot and, and all that. All the filmmaking is good. The central problem that I think I have with this movie is that it does tell an ongoing current story that. And because of that, I think the storytelling itself feels very unfulfilled to me. It feels like we're only getting the surface details of these characters and this situation. And it can't really give you a full deep dive into this world and everything that people are going through. It feels like we get the bullet points for sure. And it gives you a good layout. But I never really felt like we were getting very much into the details because it's sort of very hard to do. This only happened like two years ago. 
And because of that, I just felt such a distance with most of these characters and what they were going through. So, and because of that, I felt very, like, this was a very tedious exploration for me. I didn't really find myself connecting with it all that much. I, I, I get how you can get invested with it, because I think, as I said, on the surface, there are intriguing details there. But underneath it, I didn't think the movie really dug that deep and was kind of shallow because of it. And I didn't I felt a distance with the movie, honestly. So I didn't hate it. I wouldn't say that it's a terrible movie, but I do think it's kind of an empty one that didn't really satisfy me all that much. So I didn't really end up liking it a great deal at the end of the day. Okay, all right. You know, there's nothing wrong with the dissenting opinion here. I, I will say this, though. Compared to The Big Short, Social Network, Moneyball, movies that take very uh, complex matters and distills them into something that's uh, very digestible, I would argue that this is the lowest of the four for me. So I, I think there's something to be said here uh, with regards to you know, being off-put by its tone, and also, too, um, this whole situation is so much more complex than the movie kind of lets on, and Dan, I think you'll agree, because you two saw the documentary about this whole subject uh, a couple months ago, that there's more story here than what the movie's actually letting on, which kind of, like, renders it, like, as, like you said, Josh, like, kind of, like, as basic bullet points, so I, I, I get what you're saying, for sure. Dan, uh, on to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you said, I had um, seen the the documentary that came out actually last year. Like it came out remarkably fast. <laughs> yeah, um, that went over this called GameStop: Rise of the Players, and there were a few other documentaries that have been released since too. It it, it because it's a fascinating story. It's a honestly, it's kind of an irresistible story, like real Rise of the Underdog kind of story and it's impossibly feel good and i really think that it's kind of impossible to screw this story up honestly <laughs> but and 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 i don't think the money does screw up the telling of this story but i get what josh is saying it it really is bullet points and there is the story is so much deeper than what is shown here but one of the things that has like always bothered me about this story like any documentary that i've seen any reporting on it there's like nothing from inside gamestop at all which is always like the big it feels like the missing piece of this puzzle like we just don't know what gamestop itself actually thought of what was going on and I feel like that would be a really interesting story, but no one has told it yet. That said, for me, I thought this movie was so well cast and so entertaining that I, I didn't mind if it was really just like a surface level examination of it. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with that. I, I think that if we're talking about the movies that Matt had previously listed about like this being, you know, the least complicated or the most easily accessible or even the lowest of quality of all of them. I honestly, I don't have an issue with that. For me, I think it also does feel pretty straightforward because, and it's not that complicated because I think there's a good chance a lot of the people who were part of this movement didn't fully understand the ins and outs of those details. They had an app that they could, you know, uh, invest through that you didn't have to know anything. And that was kind of part of all this, that it made everyone an investor in a very easy way. And they had probably no idea about all, all these, you know, stock market complications and terms and all that. So I think that's kind of why I enjoy it is that even if the movie doesn't have to like over explain things to us, it's because we're kind of one of the everyman of the film. And I think that while I do agree that it is like bullet points, I do think that what the movie captures is a feeling, that feeling of gambling, right? Mm -hmm. Of you like, you know, they do such a good job of me, like almost like being tense in my seat, being so nervous when I see the college girls wondering, should they sell? Should they sell? It's dipping. And you feel that investment because you know what it's like to make a lot of money. And you know, what am I going to feel like if I sell? And then it skyrockets. And I think they really captured that emotion that all these people were feeling really, really well. It's the point where I felt like I was one of them. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't want to make the wrong decision. And like, it was that energy that really kind of like rode me through the entire film on a high. I really just was really just like so on board with that. No, totally. I get that as well. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before about the ease of everything, I remember in 2021, I was living with uh, one of my former roommates at the time, and he was very much into this. And he was following this extremely closely. And I would be coming back from work some days and he would just be saying random shit to me that I wouldn't quite understand. He'd be saying like, we're taking back power, Matt. And I'm <laughs> like, w w what? You know? And then he convinced me to download Robinhood and he was like trying to explain it to me about how I could invest and make a killing off of this right now. I think he made like $16,000 uh, from this whole ordeal. And I know that he was actually very conservative about it, too. Uh, if he had gone more into it, he could have made a lot more money. And a lot of people did make a lot of money from this in the end overall. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite things about this movie is I love the uh, net worth that they uh, display for everybody when all the characters are first introduced. And then we revisit that number at the end of the movie for everybody. Mm -hmm. Really, really enjoy that aspect of it. But going back to something that Dan said before, I think the thing that makes this movie work ultimately is two things. One is this is actually Craig Gillespie's most restrained yeah. direction in a while. I agree um, about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't anywhere near as flashy as some of the other stuff that I've seen him do over the last couple of years. Um, I think in its own way, the youthful spirit of this movie predicated on, you know, meme culture and things like that already is giving this movie that kind of an energy and vibe. So you don't need to then also throw in this hyperkinetic editing style and the camera work and things of that nature. Instead, he tries to ground it all and focus on these people in a way that's very humanistic. And I think that that lends especially well to America Ferreira's character or Anthony Ramos's character and especially Paul Dano, who I think is such brilliant casting here in the role of Keith Gill. Paul Dano is one of those actors who I feel has 
I don't want to say been underappreciated so much. I, I think everybody recognizes what a great actor he is, but I but I don't think that we still like I think we take him for granted. Like his range is absolutely incredible. And here he's tapping into a sort of naivete that's uh, very, very uh, endearing to see. But also at the same time, uh, he's just such a likable, warm persona. And so I, too, if I was like following the situation and I knew Keith Gill and I was listening to him explain to me what this whole thing was with the short squeeze with GameStop and he's showing his financials on his YouTube channel, I, too, would follow him to the moon and back. (laughs) I mean, I can totally see why so many people saw him as like this crusading leader um, through this whole event. And so the movie does a really, really good job of presenting him as such in that way but then they also throw in his relationship with his um deadbeat stoner brother pete davidson once again (laughs) kind of perfectly cast but like in a lazy way i would i would argue uh but still i i do like that they also introduced this idea of there being um uh, a family tragedy they had lost their sister so the movie doesn't quite dive as deep into that as i was hoping it would but i still appreciate the effort um and then, you know, Lauren, you were mentioning the college girls uh, before. It's wonderful seeing Talia Ryder get more roles uh, following her role in Never Really, Sometimes Always. She's uh, really, really great uh, here. And then also, too, um, she's also in The Sweet East, uh, which is currently playing on the festival circuit right now. So I think she's going to have a really, really fantastic career. She's already, like, been in Do Revenge. And I think she was in West Side Story, if I remember correctly. But she's doing really well for herself, so I'm glad to see her pop up here. And then, of course, you got like the big heavy hitters of uh, people like Seth Rogen, who, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Seth's involvement is the reason why the movie even got made in the first place. Um, I'm trying to remember if he... No, he doesn't have producing credit on it, but I think just him coming on board is what got everybody else to come on board. Nick Offerman and Vincent D'Onofrio were kind of like perfectly cast as... <laughs> these hedge fund types who you kind of just like hate, but in a way that is so, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like they're so bland. I, and I don't mean that as a knock necessarily, but they're just like, so uninteresting to follow. Uh- <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio is so perfect with that. The, as the low talker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So good. <laughs> but, but like Seth and Seth, though, I, I got to give credit to Seth Rogen where credit's due here. Um, the last couple of years, I mean, you want to talk about it, someone who I think has done a really admirable job of trying to break away from the stoner uh, comedic relief type character that he would play in so many of his other movies. Like he he was the Pete Davidson, <laughs> you know, casting type of his time. And in recent years, I just think that. He's continuously finding new ways to push himself and get out of his comfort zone. And I, I'm just like always very fascinated to see him, you know, revealing new layers of what he's interested in exploring. Yeah, I, I just, you know, to borrow a line from the movie, I just like the film. <laughs> really, I, I do. I, I, I think that's really what it just comes down to is that I went into this kind of skeptical and was prepared to not like it. But I emerged from it saying to myself, you know, this is a very hard movie to hate. Yeah. And Josh, even you, as someone who's the most negative of thoughts here, even you are begrudgingly kind of saying, like, I don't hate this movie. No. So no. I think that just speaks to um, the likable qualities that it possesses. 
Yeah, no, I I don't think it's a bad movie. And I do think that like the actors that they've assembled are giving good performances. And I think the overall craft of the film is, I, I don't think exceptional, but it's engaging enough. I do think though that once you dig beneath the surface, there's not that much there. And even with these characters, yes, they, they kind of have things going on in their lives that does intrigue you and make you want to follow them. But eventually it kind of felt like everybody's story was essentially the same, which is they're financially disenfranchised and they want to buy into this system to kind of both make money and to stick it to the rich guys. And then the rich people on the other end are just trying to survive the situation. And that was pretty much it for everybody. Like, yes, there were individual circumstances that were kind of different, but generally speaking, that was everybody's kind of motivation within the story. And I think eventually that just got rather repetitive for me. And it was just another example of how the movie can't really go that deep with this story because it's still <laughs> happening. It's so recent. And, and that was just sort of frustrating for me as I was watching it. Would you have liked to have seen like a larger gap in terms of uh, class of the different characters to see like how this impacted like different types of people? I think that would have helped. I also think Dan brought up a good point earlier that for all that we see with this situation, we don't ever really get inside GameStop. And like, you know, people are manipulating this stock, but it's a stock for a real company with real people that are running it. And uh, that is also another perspective of what's happening with with that situation, too. It does feel like the movie wants to give you a very broad idea of what's going on. And I get it. And I think in some instances it does that well. But from a big picture perspective, for me, it just felt like there wasn't too much wasn't too much complexities that they really wanted to go into that were available with this type of material. And I found that to be a an experience that wasn't necessarily wholly to my liking. I think you're exactly right, Josh, that like the, these deeper complexities just aren't available with this material. Yeah. Like, having, having watched the documentary, like these stories, like pretty much are the actual stories of these people that were involved in, you know, who, um, who were really involved from the beginning with getting this, this GameStop stock um, and pushing the value up. Uh, like the, um, Anthony Ramos's character, that story is like directly his, like that's directly analogous to one of the real life characters, America Ferreras to the college girls. Like all of these are actual people. Like there's, I think the college girls or it was them or a straight couple that was actually like in their van going around, like, you know, traveling around America because, you know, nothing else to do during the pandemic that that I think could have been something a bit more interesting, but they didn't choose to go with that particular detail. I think that one of the things that kind of impressed me and, but also like put me off from the movie a pit is the, like, it's a secret COVID movie. Yes. But, but here's the thing though about that. I was going to just say, maybe I have different thoughts than you about this, Dan, but like, I actually found the COVID element of it all mm -hmm. actually enforced the story and set the tone for what people were thinking at this time. And, yeah, allowed, and, and and that's true too. Like that is part of like the story of how this all came to be. Yeah, and so I think the movie did a really good job of weaving that in in a way where it didn't feel um, as obtrusive and annoying as I feel like other 
inclusions of masks and COVID have been in other movies that I've seen, or even movies that were shot during COVID, where it was just like, oh, we're just capturing life as is right now. This was something where it actually felt like the first time I was watching an actual this is going to sound very weird because once again, it was only two years ago, but it felt like it was an actual like period piece of what that time was like. Cause I feel like so many inclusions of COVID that we've seen in movies as of late have been, we're just capturing life as it is right now in the moment, not from a standpoint of we're telling a story that was set in the past and COVID was a part of that past. And we're not just including it in a, in a we're including it in a way where it actually has meaning. It has purpose. It does inform right. the story. We also mm-hmm. don't want all of the actors to be wearing masks the entire movie because that's <laughs> hard for them to be acting. But I do think they did a good enough job, like, reminding us or, you know, setting a record for anyone who watches this in 20 years that, like, this was during the COVID pandemic and like you know that and also I do think that scene with America Ferrera in the gas station was like a great kind of scene you know kind of reminding us of that because in in a way it was about people looking for connection and that's a lot of what the internet is and people were finding communities in a time when all of us were you know alone and in a very weird time and this was something that was happening that made people feel part of something bigger than themselves. It was a really great distraction for a lot of people. That's for sure. (laughs) About, you know, all the characters seeming the same. But I mean, as, as you guys have said, you've seen the documentary about it. What was the average, I guess, age or socioeconomic standing of the, of the average person who was investing in GameStop? They were mostly younger. Exactly. So they're mostly people that don't really have money that were like, all right, fuck it. I'll just listen to a guy who says something like, I like like the stock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that's the kind of people who were investing in it. And so yeah. I don't think there's room for a lot of variety because I don't think those super wealthy were, were part of it. <laughs> it just was the vibe of what was going on, the type of people that were involved. So, you know, yeah, I do yeah. agree there's not a lot of variety, but I think it's just because that was accurate. It was people that had no idea what the fuck they were doing. You know, they knew nothing about it. They downloaded an app that let them invest. They had no idea if they were making smart decisions. By by all accounts, they weren't making smart decisions. It's just the internet banded together to create this. And it happened and they made money. But, you know, was all of it dumb? (laughs) Like, absolutely. But it was also like a combination of Wall Street bets on Reddit. Like, you could read up and get educated and realize that this actually was a smart investment because you all you had to do was pay attention to like how many people were actually mm-hmm. doing it at the time. Collective consciousness, no? Like people were doing it because other people were doing it. You know, like right. yeah. it's not that it was a smart thing as much as like, look, if we all do this. <laughs> but that but that is what that's exactly what makes it smart because you don't see that ever really happen with uh, the stock market, right. because mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do? You're going to message all your friends and your contacts and your phone. You're going to tweet out to all your followers on social media. Guess what? It probably still wouldn't be enough. Like this needs to no. have so many stars aligned in such a way that most people just don't have the um, the the coordination or or just the desire to want to see something like this happen. Uh, you know. Or the stomach their money in it you know what i mean because it is unpredictable it's like you know i have my dad always every time i mention stories like this or with crypto he'll be like he you know he's from a different generation and he's just like it's not real it's not real and it's telling us like don't fall for the trap right because you know you invest in apple you invest in things that are real that you understand and 
these that's obviously not what our generation <laughs> has been obsessed with. We're in an age of crypto and GameStop and Robinhood. And I think that unpredictable nature is what makes it so like enticing. You know, I think that scene when the Reddit forum gets shut off was like, yeah, so had so much drama because you're like, oh, my God, we've lost our connection to each other. What do we do? <laughs> and I was on the edge of my seat during that scene because I was like, fuck, what would I be doing if I was there right now? <laughs> Scared that everybody was going to dip. You know, well, that's the that's a really scary quality about any kind of, uh, you know, investment or gambling. Right. Which is how long do you hold for if your money is continuously going up? When do you know when is the time to pull out and collect your earnings and walk away? Because the those who hold on for too long are the ones who end up losing their money in the end. How did Mm -hmm. that, that element of the movie, because it was a thing that was all about people diamond hands, all staying strong, all staying in not knowing what someone else was going to do and how other people were going to respond is scary because you don't want to be the last man standing. (laughs) Not to mention, too, like, how would you feel if you pulled out and you got, say, I don't know, $50,000 and you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I got $50,000. But then you find out later you could have gotten a million dollars. And that's the the point is that, like, you know, I know none of it's real until you pull out and it's liquid and it's, it's you know, your money in your pocket. But that's kind of the part of this is that, you're putting in very little, you're seeing the numbers get really big and you feel rich on paper and you don't know what to do. And I, I think there was this one of the characters who pulled out some of it and left some in and that felt like my, my move. (laughs) Oh yeah. That was Anthony Ramos when he says like, pulled out right at the tippy tippy top half of it and left the rest. I'm like, that is how to do it. (laughs) You know that you have your money, your investment that you put in, you've made money no matter what. And if it skyrockets that other portion awesome and if it doesn't you can you can live your life knowing you lost it (laughs) can i just say between this movie and oppenheimer i'm really appreciating uh dane dahan one of my least favorite actors uh working today (laughs) being cast as a authority figure type that we're meant to hate (laughs) i did not recognize him with the Uh, same Wasn't it like about maybe two minutes before you pulled his mask? I was like, wait a minute, that thing to Han, but had no idea up until that point. <laughs> Could not tell him. This this might be the year. This might be the year where Dane DeHaan like turns a corner for me. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and it's because he found his he found his calling card with playing villain authority figures that we want to punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, I, I he was a nice inclusion for for that particular role. I. <laughs> I still don't though think though that this movie also has I I think a problem with just even analyzing Wall Street just in general because I think it gets so wrapped up in this narrative about yes like the little guy coming together to take on the the Wall Street elites in, in this kind of rigged system and I do think it does a good job of at least presenting that on the surface but I think another problem I have though is there is another side to this where you can look at it as like, well, this system is like just so easily manipulated and it can be rigged in whatever different direction. And it seems so inherently flawed in the, you know, to the core of it, but the movie doesn't ever really look at that either. It looks at all these people participating in it and trying to game it in a way so that it benefits, you know, the, the disenfranchised, not the elites. 
but it also never really indicts the system itself, which you could very easily do with this material. And I think that's another layer that it doesn't go into. It's another element of it very kind of waiting in the shallow area. And I think that's why, for me, the storytelling, while it has compelling components within it, it never really collectively worked on me because it kept missing the more interesting avenues that it could explore. Yeah, I get that, Josh. It, it definitely feels like it's so focused on this one very specific story and group of people, and it doesn't really ever like expand out much, except in terms of like you know just the general malaise of the COVID era. Um, but that said, I think like it does get into like a little bit because you're you're talking so much about the stock market and how it works that it does have, you know, some element of that, of calling out the system for being just like ridiculous. I agree that it could have gone a little deeper, but it, it didn't end up being a real like problem for me. And I think, I think a little bit part of that too, is that it, it feels to me more like a story about like, how we in America can sort of like overcome our differences by banding together for the common good, which is something that, you know, is in short supply these days. <laughs> but I do think that that's how we, you know, get one over on all these forces that are oppressing, you know, us in whatever ways. I, I think it pays lip service to that idea. I don't think it really mm. gives it, the proper examination that I think a story like this, which is all about kind of looking at this broken system and how it benefits so few people and not the people that are deserving of it, like that is inherently there, but it does sort of feel like at, at the end of this movie, not that it like endorses the system necessarily, but it's almost like, well, this system will always be here. And therefore we need to recognize how, you know, the ways that the common yeah. folk can, can participate without ever really indicting like the inherent problems with that system. And I, I think that honestly, maybe the, I don't know if you noticed this, but one of the, 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 some of the producers of this movie are the Winklevoss twins. And I think maybe that might have oh. something to do with this movie kind of pulling its punches a bit on how it could really be vicious to Wall Street and and this cycle of of just, you know, really bad participants. I think that there is a maybe there is another reason why it feels like it is a bit of a shallow presentation on that front. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of the movie when Seth Rogen's uh, buddies bail him out. Oh uh, yeah. And you know, this feeling of like, okay, well the rich are never gonna ever actually suffer from this because they'll always get bailed out by either their buddies or the government or whatever it is. I didn't really feel the gut punch of that in this movie as much as I did in the big short. And so I but I will say this though. The end titles of this movie might be, for me personally, my favorite aspect of this entire film. Maybe because of the things that you're speaking to here, Josh, which is it feels like those end titles that really do talk about the bigger ramifications of what had happened here. That actually, even with just plain text, had more of an emotional impact on me that made me want to stand up out of my chair and applaud than anything else in the movie. It's weird because I feel like those end titles are so stark 
in contrast to this movie, which is so busy and so energetic, it it felt it felt hard for me to really process that impact because it just felt so separate from the movie. But then again, like I do think it's kind of hard for this movie to critique this system too much because it's about these people using the system to their advantage the same way that the rich people do. Right. In a lot of ways. But at the same time, call that hypocritical if you want. I think that the system just being as rigged as it has been for so long mm-hmm. to work one way and give off the illusion that it can work the other way for the little guy to finally see that actually play out and level the playing field for a change. And it's because that's the American dream. The American dream is that anybody can make their success and fortune here in this country when – you know, if you dive deep into it, you come to realize that that's actually not true. It's a lie that we sell to people about this country. So to see that actually play out through this example here, and hopefully it can inspire other examples. I mean, to me, that's what makes the movie, I don't want to like say inspirational, but I'll tell you this, it definitely made me feel um, invigorated to want to forge like my own path of success when this movie was over what by whatever means that was i i felt like very empowered through those end titles when this movie uh, reached its conclusion so the best part of the movie was the end okay <laughs> yeah yeah for me it was i know i know it sounds counterintuitive but um it also reinforces i think what you're saying josh which is the bigger picture which is what this movie's kind of missing was highlighted by those entitled uh credit sequences and so you know yeah it was highlighted there but i personally would like more than just some text at you know the final 30 seconds of a movie to indulge in that when we've had an hour and 40 minutes prior i i just feel like the movie not and i don't think hypocritical is necessarily the right word for it. I just think that it doesn't look, it chooses to look in one particular area and focus on one particular kind of narrative, which I do admit can be very engaging, but I, I also just feel like there, there's more that it can examine and more that it can indict within this system to make it a more complex and nuanced piece of storytelling that I just feel like it chooses not to go into, and I find that to be frustrating. Lauren, you were at that press screening. I know press screenings can be notoriously uh, difficult sometimes in terms of them responding to a movie in an enthusiastic manner. What was the vibe like when this movie was over? Did people applaud? Did people yeah. cheer? Yeah, people like, what was like? at the end. Everyone was talking just like everyone was just, oh my God, so fun, just talking to each other as they were leaving. The vibe was like, really on point. And that was, that's a rare thing at those press screenings. People are jumping, you know, better than anyone. You're jumping to like six screenings a day. You haven't slept, you haven't eaten. You're not really, you're not getting an intro from the director. You're not getting the whole, you know, to do with the screening. And everyone was acting like they were in the, you know, world premiere screening in in our, in our press screening. So, I mean, I just think it plays really, really well. And I think the movie knows what it is. It's not trying to be something to you know it's not trying to be an oscar movie it's just trying to be what it is it's trying to be a good time and tell the story in like a clear and concise manner with a fun soundtrack and a fun cast and i think it does that really well yeah i would agree with that hey Hey there. there i'm hannah and i'm audrey 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Which is a good segue here into Final Thoughts and its Oscar talk. Uh, So... Let's see. Let's uh, hear first from uh, Josh. Josh, is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up here regarding dumb money? Yeah, uh, a couple things at the end here. I, I do think that this film tries very hard to evoke the social network, which is sort of interesting because it is based on a book that is from the same author that the social network source material was from. And it's it <laughs> it also really called just... the anti-social network. <laughs> yeah. So it, it definitely felt like it was really trying to evoke that from like just the visual aesthetic. Some parts of the score also sounded a little bit like, like the social networks music, not entirely, but there were some sections that were evocative of that. So I definitely think that is the, the touchstone that it's referring to. Obviously, I don't think it does it quite as well, but it was noticeable to me. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is I am usually not a Sebastian Stan kind of a person, honestly. I really have never been that fond of his performances. But for whatever reason, ironically, he tends to be some of the best parts of Greg of Craig Gillespie's projects. And I actually thought he was my favorite performance in this film. I, I loved how he captured this, like, kind of weak confidence that was continually squirming and and undercut by so many other elements going on around him. And I just found that type of register that he played in to be really captivating. And I want to give that as a shout out to my favorite performance because it's very small, but it really left an impact with how, as I said, like he tried to project so much pride in his work but you could see that all of that was just up front and he was so fragile underneath and i I love the way that he was able to present that and i and yeah it was my favorite performance in the film i've heard this said a couple of times now by some people not regarding sebastian stan particularly but that dan you could probably speak to this more because i haven't seen the documentary i've heard that many of these real life figures uh, that are portrayed in this film are incredibly well cast in this movie like, how accurate is Sebastian Stan to uh, Vlad Tenev, would you say, here? Um, <laughs> I think that's one of those cases of, like, the uh, performer getting more of the truth of the person than the actual person. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, actually, when the film was first announced and it was announced that Paul Dano was in it, I thought Paul Dano was going to be playing uh, Vlad. Oh, okay. Because there's a 
bit of a physical resemblance there. Oh, holy shit. I just pulled up a photo of him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I thought that he and Sebastian Sin would have their roles reversed when the casting was first announced, but it didn't work out that way, but I think that's for the best in terms of how they play their characters. But yeah, if you watch the documentary and you look at these, some of the people that who inspired the characters in the movie, the real life people, the, it, like Anthony Ramos, perfectly cast. America Ferreira, perfectly cast um even the people like i thought vincent d'onofrio perfectly cast seth rogan um nick offerman all of them it it these archetypes for these people at whatever like stages in their life these are the actors that you would pick to play them it's really really well cast and for me that casting goes a long way towards the movie working as well as it does okay cool any else here josh uh, no, that's that was my main thoughts. Like I said, it's not a bad movie necessarily. Like it's not a terrible film. It is well put together. And I do agree that the cast is very, very compelling, and I and I liked that element the most. I I just feel like it's missing something at the core to make it a more engaging work, and it feels like it's only telling half the story. And I just found that to be to put me at a really great distance in terms of how much of an emotional impact it left on me at the end of the day. Okay. All right. Uh, Lauren, let's head on over to you now. Final thoughts here on Dumb Money? No, I've said it all. I've gushed for an hour. You guys know I love this movie. Um, I I just had a great time with it, and I think that uh, everyone should see it because it's the most fun movie playing right now, for sure. Okay. Dan Bear, how about you? Yeah, I think Lauren kind of summed up my feelings like it's just a lot of fun. I sat there through a lot of this movie, like kind of missing these like big all star ensembles where like just everyone right down to the smallest role is like a big name and there maybe don't have enough screen time as you would like. But it's so fun seeing them all in the same movie, even if they don't rare, even if they only rarely share the screen together. Um I just had a lot of fun with it. I do think that there's, um, you know, some elements of the real life story that I, I wish they had included. Um, I think that, you know, the sort of, uh, the original investors in GameStop in terms of like this particular story sort of formed this inner circle that where they were all became sort of friends online and that really wasn't captured in this. And I think, I think that's trying to get at a larger story of like the story of America during this period, but it's such an important part of the story that it wasn't just like a, you know, and a giant online community. They created like sub communities within that. And that was the thing that I missed the most from the real life story. But other than that, like it, I, I, I find it just like hard to. I feel like a curmudgeon, like complaining about the things in this movie that don't work because so much of it is so much fun. But there are like these, <laughs> there are some like bad edits in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it's uh, less than two hours. It moves pretty well in yeah. terms of its pacing. But I agree, there are some edits in this that really took me out of the movie on one or two occasions. Yeah, there are just some like scenes that just like end with like this smash cut, and they the next scene is like a very slow fade in, 
and it just really screwed around with the rhythm of the movie for me. I, I didn't like that stylistic choice. The first time it happened, it threw me right out of the movie. And then it happened, I think, a couple more times. And I was just like, oh, no, this is a this is a theme in this movie. And I, I don't like it. I don't care for it. <laughs> Which is so weird because so much of the rest of the movie is very well edited in terms of how it's paced. Yeah, but yeah, that was the only thing that like, I really didn't like about it i don't think it's a great movie but it's very good and it's very entertaining okay my final thoughts here um i love the scene where seth rogan is getting ready to testify before congress and (laughs) they're having him edit his speech and he's sitting in front of his wine collection and they're like we need to shoot this somewhere else (laughs) You know, and he says it's not even that big a wine collection, right? And I and I, and I think about like all these like celebrity like apology videos and things like that, where it's like they always have like the blandest backgrounds they possibly could find. Because who wants to like show uh, glass windows with like a yacht in the background in the water? <laughs> like, you know? uh, too many windows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, that was really good. That's kind of like the joke with the two of the few apology videos we've seen recently, the Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher and the Drew Barrymore. They're like, if you're a celebrity, you need a wall that makes you look poor in your house. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what everyone's been saying. Like, you'll notice that they have very specific framing and backgrounds when they make these apology videos to make sure that nothing whatsoever that like is indicative of their privilege or wealth is in the frame. <laughs> Absolutely. And yep. That's kind of like that. Clancy Brown. We need more Clancy Brown. Always love seeing him and stuff. He's great. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I I don't know what it is with him lately. Just I'm going to randomly show up and promise a young woman. I'm going to (laughs) randomly show up in dumb money. I'm going to randomly show up in John Wick Chapter four. But we just need more Clancy Brown. (laughs) Simple as that. (laughs) He always adds so much by doing so little. And I really, really appreciate his presence. I agree. That that voice is magical. Oh, truly. I know we mentioned this before, but I'm going to just reiterate here. I think this movie's biggest fault is that it's living in the shadow of movies that have done similar types of stories better, and it suffers by comparison. The editing is nowhere near as good as something like The Social Network. The writing is nowhere near as good as something like Moneyball. The overall presentation of the movie in terms of how it explains the situation and kind of goes more in depth on both a macro and micro level is not like the big short. And so as a result of which, I just find Dumb Money like just barely gets over the line in terms of being acceptable as far as an entertaining, uh, like I said earlier, educational film. But is it a great movie? No. I, I think it's a type of movie that I enjoyed in the moment, but I'm going to like quickly forget about in the weeks to come. I don't think it's going to have that same staying power with me as I hoped it would. Uh, but overall... I liked it. As I said earlier, I just liked the film. (laughs) So as far as a grade goes for Dumb Money, I'm going to probably go with a 6 out of 10. It's still a movie I would recommend to pretty much anybody. I I can't imagine any audience member out there who wouldn't at least want to give this a a try or should give it a try, Uh, but it's going to work for everybody. No, and I recognize that. Uh, But at the same time, it's a very digestible 
film, uh, both in terms of the content and how it explains it, but also it's got those comedic elements. It adds a little bit of drama. Some I would have liked to have seen, like I said, fleshed out a bit more, um, especially like Shailene Woodley. I just feel like she's getting saddled all the time with these characters who that don't give her like anything to really do. Uh, but yeah, overall, I liked it. Lauren, what about you? I'm going to sound crazy, but eight out of 10. Oh my. Okay. I love it. I, I, I judge a movie based on what it is, not what I want it to be. And I think it was a perfect, perfect version of that. All right. Dan Bear, what about you? You know, I'm at a very solid seven out of 10. Okay. We're all over the place now. Josh Parham, what about you? Uh-oh. I'm going to be a five out of 10. Oh, oh. I, Four different scores. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't I hate the movie, <laughs> but I just didn't like it all that much either. Okay. All right. So in terms of its awards potential here, I don't know. What are we looking at? Adapted screenplay is the only possibility, right? Yeah, I mean. If that. Right. Right. I I can't see if it's contending like those other films that I mentioned here. I just can't see it. Like it doesn't have the same – I just don't feel like it has flashy editing. I don't think it has the standout performance. It doesn't – have like anything that would catapult it into the award season race in a way that's going to help it stand out. It's an agreeable film. Like I said, it's a likable movie, but it doesn't have that. Oh my God. I love it factor. Yeah. It just feels like very, like just slightly better than average feel to it. Do you think it could potentially score any golden globe nominations for comedy musical? I mean, maybe I would love to see Paul Dano get in. You know, Roaring Kitty, let's go. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I I kind of feel like this movie's going to get pretty forgotten. I, 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 I can't too. imagine that the box office is going to be that great for it this weekend, and I don't think that will help. And, yeah, once we get further into the fall, when bigger titles start to come out and things get more crowded, I feel like this is going to get lost in the, the shuffle a bit. And, yeah, I, I don't really see it happening in too many other places i could see maybe some groups singling it out for like an ensemble prize here or there but i don't Mm. really feel like it's going to have a major impact on the award season oh you know what i just thought of as a possibility if we're just trying to check off all boxes here because of the ineligibilities watch it get like a random wga nomination yeah that i could see that based on as you said what's going to qualify at wga yeah other than that though yeah i don't think it's a I think it's a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say that. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Dumb Money here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Lauren Cohen, tell everyone that's listening right now where you can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lauren Cohen Film. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film, on Letterboxd and Post at Dance and Dan. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. Invest. Invest. The stock will go up if you invest for $1 minimum a month you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time.
buzz that those movies were able to generate out, out of TIFF. And also, um, I think... Wait, hold on a second. Oh, shit. Someone's at my front door. Hold on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the glamorous life of podcast recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.